Hello, my friends. Welcome to Too Much Information with Sean Arnold. My name is Sean Arnold. We are now on to episode 12, which is really hard for me to believe that I'm 12 episodes in. But joining me tonight is a very, very good friend, a longtime friend. And this guy does so much stuff, I actually have a hard time keeping track of all the stuff that he does. Um, he's a food and lifestyles expert. He does segments that are on the movie screens about food before you watch movies. He's on every TV show I can think about. He has a consulting company that helps people with brand marketing and food. And he's done stuff with Harry Connick and Dolly Parton and Trisha Yearwood and Art Smith. And he writes cookbooks. And I don't know when he sleeps, but it's going to be fun. He's a very successful guy. He's one of the smartest guys I know. Chadwick Boyd joins us. Chadwick, how are you? Hey, Sean. I'm doing very well. Thanks. Like I said beforehand, I told you this wasn't going to be very professional. That's probably the worst setup you've ever gotten. <laughs> right there with Harry Connick Jr. But you, but like you, oh, really? Did you not get a good setup from Harry? <laughs> no. I love Harry. He, we joke together and um, just like how you and I joke back and forth. So he seems like. He's one of those guys, like, I think anytime I've ever seen him, it's that celebrity that you feel like you would really, really want to be friends with. Yeah, he's, um, you know, whenever we do stuff together, it's like we're brothers. And um, there's a, a great spirit of um, camaraderie and um, poking fun and just having a good time. And he's, you know, he's, he's the real deal. He's not... Um, you know, once the camera is off, he's not one to uh, pull back. And what what you get on camera is what you get in real life. And I have friends who uh, work for him on his show team, and uh, you know he's very supportive and active, and um, uh, he's just an all around good guy. Did um. It's interesting to me anytime I think people in media tend to cross lines, right? Because I, I think there's a maybe a logical assumption that it's all the same, but hosting, and I can even say this just from doing a podcast, hosting is really hard. I mean, even though I, I don't think of myself as like a host, I mean, I kind of a host. I mean, I'm really just talking to people that I'm interested in, but you know, it's like, he's obviously an incredibly accomplished musician, but doing a show is a completely different animal. Like, I feel like that people would just generally struggle with that. Like, did you get a sense that he spent a lot of time or is he just a natural at everything he does? <laughs> um, I, I, I think no matter, I mean, I'm a host myself, so I, I, no matter what, who's playing that role and no matter how talented they are, it's still work. You have to work at it. And the, the thing that makes it tough is that as the host, you're the balancer between whatever audience and the guests and the show that you're doing. And you have to be conscious of all of those things at all times and make it fluid and interesting. And I think the main driver to that is just being curious. Uh, because whatever you're personally as a host curious about, it's probably what, you know, viewers or listeners are also, um, curious and interested about. And it's what kind of brings you on that level with whatever guests that if you ex express your curiosity about something, it shows that you're interested in what you learning something from your guests. 
And that takes a lot of energy. You're right. I mean, it does. And I think that it's true. I mean, my, my sort of one of my big reasons for doing this was this idea that I know interesting people and I like to talk to people about, you know, I mean, what people do is interesting to me. And, and I, I never thought of it that way, but you're right. Like being curious about your subject or the people that you're on with is, is really important. Yeah. And I think any more today, um, we're no longer in the days where, um, as a presenter or a host that, um, or even an anchor that you have to be, um, so polished and perfect <laughs> that we are in a, we're in a time and a place where, uh, showing our imperfections and being real is what we're preferring. And that makes us relatable and it shows that we're human. And it, it really is, uh, something that brings audiences in and I think that that's a wonderful place I'm, I uh, am having more fun with that connecting with my audiences for that very reason yeah I agree I mean and I think even as as sort of non-traditional media becomes more available like this kind of thing right like the fact that I could just go start a podcast I mean I listen to a lot of podcasts and you know that's one of the things that is fun like the the warts you know, it's that idea of, of it's just these people are humans, right? Just like the rest of us. Um, they're often incredibly talented humans, but um, humans nonetheless. And so I agree. Like, I think there's personality and flaws. Um, I had a guest last week that was a musician, and we talked a lot about that, like about this idea of the way music used, you know, went through it. We went through a time where music was produced, you know, in the studio, and it was just engineered or produced to death. And it's like, no, no, like it, the little things in, are what give it, give it character, right? So don't, don't try to weed out every mistake. Same thing with food. I mean, food can be perfect and beautiful looking, but it's got to have soul and personality and taste good. And, you know, it's whether that's mu music or art or whatever, you know, it's got to have feeling. Yeah. And I think you have to be invested um, in it, you know, and it's funny because I think that um, that was a fabulous segue for you from you, by the way. That's why I know you're a pro. You brought the food, you brought the food <laughs> thing right into it. Like, like we're, like we're, got, like we're chatting uh, online and you're telling me how to do this thing. Um, the, uh, it is funny with food because you don't think about, um, or y not you, um, I think there are people that don't necessarily think about um, food as an experience, right? Like this is, um, this has actually been something that I've struggled with, you know, because my wife obviously is really into food. You know, she used to do a food show on CNN and, you know, whatever. And I never, you know, I always just ate to, so I didn't die. Um, Functionally. Yeah. And, 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 and being exposed to the world that you're in and she's in over the last 10 years, it's really been an eye opener, but, um, food can be really emotion, an emotional thing. Oh, it's completely emotional, but it also can be emotionless and still have emotion. <laughs> right. Um, because it, it, we all, every single human connects with it. Um, whether they admit to it or acknowledge it or not. And everyone has a feeling toward it in every way, whether they hate it or 
they have issues with it or they love it and they are lavish themselves with it. But it, the food always has emotion to it. Yeah, it definitely does. And, and especially, I think, now as you get older, like I find myself now where the strongest is, I think, when it, re- it takes me back, it takes me, it transports me to places. Yeah, it's you, a sense of place. It's because, you know, food is very sensory. It's taste, touch, look, smell, everything. And as we get o- older, it triggers emotion and memory and in good and bad ways. I mean, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's very sensory and it should be. I mean, food that is really good should be one that, uh, taps into every single one of those senses. Most, yeah, most definitely. I feel like we just got really philosophical about food. <laughs> it's, no, it's all right. We're going to, we're going to have more fun with food, but I think it's important. You know, I think that's important because listen, there'll be people that will listen to this that are fans of yours that totally get it. But you know, man, I'm from a backwater, you know what I mean? Like rural place where even conceptually, these kinds of things are strange, right? Just that there are, there's industry around food and there's, um, not industry like, I mean, again, where I come from, industry around food is like, is there a Mrs. Winners? You know what I mean? Like, I'm talking about like food as a part of your lifestyle, food as a, I'm trying to think of the right way to sound this to not sound all hoity toity, but um, not as a luxury item, but but sort of, right? Like this idea of like, there are times when you can really treat yourself, you know, to something mm-hmm. special. Um whether it's exotic or expensive or by an amazing chef or whatever. And I think some people don't just maybe aren't in worlds where that's a, as regular as it is for like you and me. I just treated myself to a chorizo (laughs) sausage on a buttered lobster roll today. (laughs) See, that's what I mean. Like that sounds, that sounds so amazing, but um, you know, people would think it was just a hot dog at the end of the day. Oh, well, (laughs) Oh, I get it. You were being coy. I get it. Um, That's one of the things I love about you, though, because I've always said to my wife, like, I feel like sometimes people that are really into food or the food thing take it too far. Um, I I, I think you are really good at at the things that are, you know, what I would consider like masterclass type stuff, you know, whether it's, you know, if you were in the presence of chefs. You know, it's one thing, but I feel like you just love food. Like it doesn't have to be something that's unreachable, right? For an average, per average person. A lot of the stuff you do is stuff that anybody could crank out in their kitchen on a Tuesday, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's where Natalie Dupree and I share a lot in common that, uh, you know, she's a James Beard award winner, multiple James Beard award winner and has been, has set precedence in the food world and one of them was, and it still is to this day, um, has, uh, some of the most, um, episodes of food television in American history. And yet, you know, she has all those accolades. At the end of the day, she's a champion for home cooks. And, and so am I. I, you know, you and I are very, um, similar in that we grew up with in very humble, simple surroundings. Yeah. Um, me to the point where, you know, we didn't have a Mrs. Winters in our town. <laughs> um, we were, it really was about um, farmland and, and farmers market where people in the community 
shared what they grew and, you know, we gave to each other. Um, and, and that is, will always be a part of me, no matter how many exceptionally accomplished, you know, Michelin starred chefs right. that I am privileged to have learned from and get to eat their food. Um, I can, I think what I do well and what I love doing is appreciating their mastery, but translating it and finding ways to bring some of the, the key refinements into everyday food. And that is just my commitment to, you know, my life's purpose. And I state this every day, very clear on this is that I'm here to change the world for good through food and words for millions of people. And that is everyday people. Um, I, I always say that I've learned from, you know, some of the most accomplished chefs that we see on television and, you know, in the big food world or the hoity-toity food world, as you called it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I never went to culinary school. And so I didn't, it's like I went to culinary school, but I didn't have to pay the tuition. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and I love to be able to pick up on those techniques and to know them, but understand the why and then figure out, well, how can this make life better? How can... How can we take a very simple ballpark hot dog and make it just a little bit better and freak people out that they're like, wow, this is pretty cool. And I can actually go home and do that too. You learned on the streets, dog. <laughs> <laughs> you got there. Just streets, street smarts. Young and naive. <laughs> <laughs> I, try to st- I try to stay in a constant state of young and naive. Um, it's funny. I you, think in my in my head, I'm I. No matter how old I am, I'll be always be twenty eight. There you go. I like it. Um, it's funny that you mentioned upbringing and all that stuff because it's true. I mean, and it's also just funny how your perspective is super skewed um, on things. I'll give you two examples. So, my grandfather um, worked in a peach cannery for fifty years um, in Middle Georgia. You know, it was like the one th- th- business in the town. You know, it was like a peach, yeah. a peach cannery and a Baptist church. That's all we had. And, and, uh, a general store and a post office. Um, but, uh, and they would occasionally can other stuff, but you know, he would bring home, like we had peaches around constantly, you know, just constantly because he would bring them home, um, from work. And so I'm kind of particular about peaches because even though we didn't have any money or anything really, like we had, we were rich in peach. <laughs> so, yeah. so, and it's still probably my favorite fruit. So like anytime I see something with peach attached to it, I'm like diving in head first. But the other thing that's funny is pecans because my great aunt had a pecan orchard and, um, I never realized it. <clears throat> and you probably did this when you were a kid is we would go out there when we were little kids and just pick them up off the ground, you know, and just fill up, fill up. And back then it's when you could get the big paper, you know, the Brown sacks at the grocery store and you would always double bag them because a whole bag of uh, pecans would break through a single bag, but we would just go out there and bag them up. And so at any given time, anywhere at my grandmother's house, my parents' house, whatever, there was an enormous bag of uncracked pecans. And, or pecans as it were back then. 
and uh, we and we would crack them, and they would always be around, and there would be huge bags in the freezer and just all this stuff. And I remember the first time I ever went to the grocery store when I was like 26, and I wanted pecans for something, and they were like four hundred thousand dollars a pound. <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, "What? These are just laying on the ground." Like it was such a weird juxtaposition. Like I don't know if you had those kind of things when you were a kid that were that were like that. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. I mean, my great grandfather was a dairy farmer. So milk and all milk products were very common. But, um, you know, my great grandmother had a black walnut tree, which is not as common as a pecan tree or a pecan tree in Georgia. But, you know, they were there. And I think actually the, the cool thing about, you know, whether it's pecans or black walnuts, everybody in and around this country and even the world because of their sense of place has their pecan or black walnut sure that somebody's got um meyer lemons in california and somebody's got avocados you know in deep texas and and you know unless you're growing up in a major city center you're, you're, I think everybody's got their one thing, their one peach, right. um, so to speak. And, um, and that, that's where food becomes really relatable because the, I guarantee you people listening to this will, because of this part of the conversation, will be like, oh man, you know, my grandfather used to um, have, you know, whatever, apples or oranges, and it triggers story and just everything that you just said about your grandfather working in that peach cannery, which by the way, I'm, you know, I'm a graduate of leadership, Georgia, and I've traveled all throughout the state of Georgia and I've been to middle Georgia, um, and to, um, peanut, uh, and, and pecan and peach production, uh, facilities all throughout the center of, um, our state. So actually brought back some memories for me of uh, about 10 years ago. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's, um, and that's funny and, and you're right. It's, and that's sort of in the larger point I was going to make this earlier is even in that way, food is just really communal, right? Like you yeah. usually do it with other people. Um, you, you know, when you have dinner, like it, it that's, and that's, what's so great. I, it's all, I'm always reminded of the, and it happens every time. And I always joke about it. If I ever win the lottery and can build a custom home, you know, like a, like my own, just from scratch, I can get an architect and go, this is what my house to be like. I'm going to have a kitchen the size of a football field. Not because I'm a great cook or whatever, but what happens when people come over, guess where everyone is in the damn kitchen. Yeah. I mean, well, I've always said, I've always said that food is the best church anybody can ever go to. <laughs> No. Because you're right, it, 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 it creates a congregation and a sense of connection. It has, you know, all the, uh, the uh, it, in spiritual context, it has everything, you know, that we talk about there because it brings people together, it facilitates conversation and um, similarity. You know, we forget about, everybody can agree to good food. You know, we forget about all of our differences and all that kind of stuff. And it's actually where I start 
when I'm on the road and you know, during my tours and things and go to city to city, I, um, I always um, have uh, stayed a few rules. And I never like to present to people. I always like to have a conversation with them. Um, but I also um, paint in everybody's mind that let's envision that we're in standing in the kitchen together. And I just happen to be the one cooking. And, you know, we're hanging out at the counter and you've got a drink in your hand. And we're just talking. And the smells of whatever I'm making or the food that uh, the snacks that are out on the counter people are picking at and we, we uh, lose a sense of time and forget about, you know, all the other craziness that has gone on throughout the day. And that's really important. It's really valuable and important to our health and our well-being. And kitchens are just that magical space that facilitates that. And, it, you know, there's no... They also, I think, break some pretense because I always like my guests, whether we're longtime friends and you've been in my kitchen, I've been in your kitchen, mm-hmm. where, um, you know, it, it, there's no formality. Like, let's just, it's just you and me or, and us hanging out here. And it's a safe place. You know, we don't have to, to, uh, to really, you know, put on our Sunday best and, you know, our best behavior. It's just like we're being real together. And food is that, that connecting point, that facilitator to make that happen. Yeah, I totally agree. I never thought about that that way, like the formality part. But you're right. I mean, because everyone in their life has spent time in a kitchen, right? Like it, <laughs> I mean, it's just somewhere, somehow. And it does. It, it just, it does. That's really interesting. I mean, because and I think for those people who, uh, you know, I split my time between New York and Atlanta. And so here in New York City, there are people who don't spend a lot of time in their apartments because they're small and their kitchens tend to be super small. So they don't, you know, their, their kitchen isn't a hangout. But when they do get to do that, hang out in the kitchen, it does evoke a memory and they, favorably respond to that almost immediately. And they are like, wow, I used to do this as a kid. And, you know, that felt really good. Um, it, 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 there's just some magic that happens in a kitchen. So this is interesting. You may, and you, I'm sure you know this, like, but are there any, it seems, are there any restaurant concepts like that? Like, I mean, I know you have like diners and stuff, but now that I think about it, like that seems like that would be a super interesting conceptually like for a restaurant where you would walk in well, and people would just congregate around a prep area and sort of <laughs> with people they don't know or, or, you know, whatever, or a group, if they bring them and just kind of eat. Yeah. Um, I don't know specifically uh, like that, but I think, you know, the last 10 years, certainly the open, uh, the open kitchen concept in restaurants uh, is, is way more than a trend for that very reason is that we want to see where who's making our food. We want to know who's, um, who's behind, you know, the walls of the kitchen and who's touching our food. But we also want to be a part of the experience anymore. And I think, you know, for a long time that that was a trend. Um, and now it's an expectation. People want that. 
um, whether they, you know, do have a conversation with the the cooks and the chefs, you know, in the kitchen or not, they ha- they feel like they do have some kind of connection. It all goes back to Waffle House, Chadwick. That's how Waffle House has been doing it for years. <laughs> Scattered mother covered chunked in top. <laughs> oh, I can destroy a Waffle House. Um, we, we'll uh, we'll we'll get back to that. So how so how does how does one decide that food is going to be their life's mission? Like, did you did you fall into food? Like, what was the arc of your of your landing in this place? Mm, you know, I get that question quite a bit and I wish that I had one very simple response to it Um, but you know the truth is that I was born into it I um, uh, was born into I I come from a pure line of farmers Um, do you remember when Ancestry.com first came out and they were doing that big push and People, you know, that was still on the fairly early years of, you know, internet sure. and um, communities that were building. And a very good friend of mine was like, oh, Chadwick, you've got to go on Ancestry.com. And I was like, why? And he's like, oh, just trust me. You need to do this. And so I did. And he kind of showed me, you know, what it was about. And it became this mission where for six nights in a row, I got maybe like two and a half, three hours of sleep because (laughs) I, it, you, I don't know if you played around with it or not, but when you enter your, uh, you know, you start by kind of filling in what you know about the immediate part of your family and the family tree. And then it becomes like a game show where (laughs) you're like, it comes up and it's like your great, 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 grandfather might be one of these three people and then you like click on them and you see original census docs you know and all this and then you're like oh my god that's my you know great 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 granddaddy and you fill in that blank and then it's like on to the next thing so i just was obsessed with filling out my tree and finding it out you know as much as i could and what i discovered is that I come from a very, uh, a, a pure line of farmers all the way back in the 1600s to when my family came over from Ireland. So I am the very first um, generation in my family that is not an actual practicing farmer. Oh, wow. Wow. And, <laughs> and yet farming is very, has very much defined what I do. Sure. It has shaped what I do. So I was born into um, a farming family and community where you know, my both sides of my family were like, we may not be, um, we may be, we may not have much money, but we're rich in food. And that was true. We had really good apples and berries and tomatoes and onions and beef and venison and you know milk, and we always found. Uh, my family was really big on gathering together at the table and doing small celebrations because we didn't have money to give gifts to each other, but we did um, give food as gifts to each other. And I loved that from my very earliest memories. I loved what happened when my family and our community got together at the table. 
And, you know, in a farming community, especially with men, men tend to be really gruff, you know, not warm and fuzzy, you know, um, you know, grandfather, like we would see in a Hallmark commercial, you know, they were really rough around the edges. And what I loved about it as a little boy is that my grandfathers and my uncles and these big laboring guys would sit down at the table and they would actually smile and laugh mm-hmm. and they would tell stories. And it was like this break from the rest of the world. And I connected with that. Sure. And I also loved the stories that were told. And so, you know, that really was where I started in food. It wasn't until I got older that I realized that um, food just happened to be part of my career. And I was fortunate enough in my late 20s, I started my first, my first business. I actually began my business when I was 28 years old and talked about naive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Confident and naive at the same time. Um, And I ended up at a uh, a PR consultancy and I merged my business a couple years later with um, someone who was looking to build or anchor their business in Atlanta. And that is when I started to, I found myself working with the CEO and the leadership team of Panera Bread. And this is in the early 2000s where PR and marketing and the internet and all that stuff was just starting to really shift and change. And even the news business was changing. And that was also at the time when Food Network was um, starting to, you know, come up on television, but we did not know if people would watch food for 24 hours a day. And I, it was just through all of those connections that, you know, I, I, we created the fast casual category through Panera Bread, which has now overtaken the fast food industry. It's now how millennials um, eat their quote-unquote fast food. They want it, you know, fresh, and they want to see it made, but they don't want it, you know, fast like how fast food was initially defined. But they also, we now watch Food Network and all of its many iterations all throughout television and the Internet all the time. This is also before the term celebrity chef came about. And so I happened to just intersect with all of that when it was converging. And I, it activated all of the things that I loved about food from my childhood. And everything that I've done from going to architecture school to being an English major to living in Paris and all of those things, I have always been a writer and a communicator. And food always was a part of that. And so when all this convergence happened in this food and lifestyle space, I realized that that I would do anything and everything to be a part of that just because I loved it no matter what. And um, that's really how I got to where I am now. 
And that's the very longest-winded answer no. to your very simple question. <laughs> no, not, a, not at all. I mean, it's funny you say young and naive because I feel like that, that there's magic in that. You know, I, I think oh, that... Oh, true. Absolutely. That, you know, that there's... Because I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm as, as someone that has done entrepreneurial things in my past, and I love entrepreneurs um, because, especially young entrepreneurs, because you're not, you're not bound by rules, right? Like y- you haven't been hardwired in with these boundaries, right? That I think as we get older, we all develop. So again, I, I had a, another podcast. I was talking with a musician and we were talking about formal training. Um, and I think this is probably also true for food. Um, it, not that you, if you're really interested in it, that there's anything wrong with getting formal training or I would discourage anyone that really loves it. However, there are things that people that don't have the constraints of structure might come up with something really special because there's not Absolutely. a rule saying don't do that. No, I'm, you know, I, I, I will be 95 and still be a uh, a no rule person. <laughs> you know, I'm just I'm not wired to play by the rules, and I you know that drives innovation. Um, there's a lot to be said for um, connecting with what's in your heart, whether you're creating music or food or you know what. No matter what you what industry you are in, if you feel it go with it and magic happens. Um, and I think that's actually something that we need to, we should be encouraging a heck of a lot more of, um, you know, a lot of people, when I first went out on my own, they were like, what are you going to do for insurance? And, <laughs> you know, how are you going to take care of that? And I was like, you know, I just, I, I didn't think about that. And if I did, I probably would have never opened up or started my business. But I was just driven just enough to where I was like, I'm doing this. And all that other stuff, it didn't matter. And it figures itself out. You know, it it, it always does. Or we fall flat on our face and then you just kind of brush yourself off and get back up. And you're like, well, that wasn't too good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but figure then, out where you go from there. Yeah, but then you have the value of the experience, right? Like that's the whole like, you know, I think everybody needs to fall fall down. I mean, At, not, oh my gosh, all the time. <laughs> you know, that this is why like I, you know, again, I, I don't have kids, right? So I tend to tread lightly because I'm totally armchair quarterbacking parenting. But I was a kid and I was parented, so I You still are, Sean. I am. I am. <laughs> and I still draw on that, but you know, it's like now it's this idea, you know, you see this a lot this is a total left turn from what we're talking about, but uh, where it's now this idea of like protecting children to the, not that I'm anti protecting children, but protecting children to the point where it's like, like where parents are afraid of them failing. I'm like, no, like every great thing I learned just like, I learned way more from failing than I ever learned from when I was really successful. And you got to give them an opportunity to fail. Absolutely, all the time. But I think, you know, I, I think we put too, we go way too deep with the word failing because we have in society, we look at that as a negative or a bad thing. Failing is actually a, a great thing. You know, um, uh, Sarah Blakely is 
famous for talking about, you know, her father as, as a kid was always said, you know, what did you fail at today? And you're putting a positive uh, on the word failing. For me, in, in my upbringing and what I like to do is um, I, I am big on curiosity and provoking curiosity and um, encouraging my nieces and my nephews um, and other young people that I work with and even people who work for me is go with what you're curious with because there's something there. And you know, there's a reason why you're being pulled by it or connected to it. And, you know, it may not come out perfect, but you get there's, you picked up something that is going to help you to get to the next thing. And I certainly do that all the time and, and all the things that I'm involved in. Yeah. Well, of course. So, so you mentioned the, the whole, you know, you being around with the fast casual evolution and, you know, clearly now, Again, I'll point at this podcast. There are so many. There are so many forms of media where thing you can get things out there. I mean, and and then there's obviously super professional forms of media. Like there's a now there's a million channels instead of three. There's you know television channels. There's uh, you know there's digital platforms. There's all kinds of stuff. Do you feel like because food really did is, is one of the things that exploded. I feel like to your point, it was something I don't think people thought about as necessarily at, well, well, is, is this kind of programming, you know, could, could something ride this like the whole, you know, could we ride a network on this or whatever? But, but how do you feel like the shows, right? Because I feel like just like in anything, there's a whole gamut. Like, do you feel like that does food? Like when people watch Gordon Ramsay or top chef or, you know, these kinds of shows, do you think that helps or hurts from a standpoint of just the general public's opinion about food? Uh, I don't think it does either. Honestly, I think what it continues to do is drive food into the core of our culture. Um, and, that's not going to change for a long time. Um, you know, we, we are coming out of a time where we had a generation or more that was disconnected with food in every single way to the point where if grocery stores put up posters of cows in a field, you know, in the dairy section or chickens in the poultry section that they didn't they didn't want to see where their food came from. They just wanted to know that they could go to the, you know, refrigerator or the case and pull it out, pay for it, and go home and eat. Right. And now uh, everybody has some connection and opinion about food. I think what, in in a broader way, what you're talking about is that food is has such a breadth and adapt to it that there is um, food as extreme entertainment and because it, it, you know we've created caricatures and characters Gordon Ramsay is beyond Gordon Ramsay you know there, he, he's, he's a character um, in the same way that Simon Cowell became a character beyond a judge for American Idol right 
Uh, and that's entertainment. You know, that's, it just happens to be through the lens of food for him. Um, but, you know, we are now at a time where we eat out more than we are in our own kitchen. And, you know, it's as basic as going to a Chipotle right. or and just grabbing something and, and going or going to nowadays it's our grocery stores where you know, the prepared and food section is much bigger and much more fresh than any of the quick um, grab and go um, restaurants that we have. Yeah, along with Waffle House, the amount of damage I can do to a rotisserie chicken from Costco. Oh. <laughs> I mean, my my goodness. <laughs> but then you know, but a lot. Most people actually, you know, what's interesting too is that now everybody is participates in the media. You know, it's not that we're exposed to the media. We we participate in the media because before we eat that rotisserie chicken, we're taking a picture of it and we're Instagramming it. Isn't Food that a photography? Is um, I think I I. I think it's right. I just read that uh, the top three uh, subjects of photography on the internet is babies, pets, and food. <laughs> and I think and I think food just overtook pets. So that says quite a bit about our food culture. Well, and also I think to your point, it, it's it's I think. People's, you know, one of the reasons why I believe that social media has become such a phenomenon is because um, <clears throat> I think that in people's core, they want to participate and be a part of a community. Um, I just think social media has made it really easy so you could be lazy and still do it. You know, it used to be you'd have to go like, oh, I want to go hang out with my friends this weekend at somebody's house, you know, to talk about. But now it's like I can start a thread on Facebook. But to your point, like food is so communal. And it's a very logical, it's a very logical thing to be able to, because we eat every day, right? And it's such a huge part of our lives that sharing that, you know, it's funny. I'm looking, it's funny. So I'm looking right now and I wanted to do a test and I'm looking at my camera, my phone, right? My gallery mm -hmm. in the first one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. In the first 20 pictures in my phone, just the first 20, eight of them are pictures of food. <laughs> yeah. And you know what's interesting about that is that we now have um, arrived at a place where we don't think about it. Just like, you know, when we sit down before we eat without even thinking about it, people will take a picture and share it and, and not skip a beat. And we are used to being around people who do that, that I guarantee you people who are listening to it, they'll be like, oh yeah, you know, I actually, I, we do, you know, when we sit down, if I go out to eat with my friends that we've taken a picture and shared about it and continued our, the conversation that we're having in person. And it's just part of so much a part of the experience. And it doesn't even have to be a great picture either. The pictures that I see shared on, online of what people are eating, I'm just like, could you make that a little bit prettier, clearer? 
<laughs> that's your uh that's your business brain taking over it's it could be that they they were trying to they just you know they don't uh um this is um the first food photo on my camera roll yeah is a um an image of duke's mayonnaise versus hellman well that's easy <laughs> dukes you gotta go dukes I hope you're a Duke's person. Yeah, of course. Okay. But it's <laughs> funny. I was getting into a, a major food media outlet, did a taste test of mayo, and did not include Duke's mayo in all the different what mayos. And I was like, are you out of your damn mind? Out. <laughs> <laughs> listen. I will fist fight somebody that puts Miracle Whip in front of me, just for the record. And they included Miracle Whip in their lineup, and I'm like, "That's not mayonnaise. Miracle Whip is not mayonnaise. It's, it's spread. Yes, or and or they even for a while called it salad dressing. Yeah, so exactly. You know, actually, what I shared is that, you know, when I think of Miracle Whip, I think of my pop up in 1977 sitting down at our boomerang formica laminated table bringing out a, a uh, king sandwich, white bread, Miracle Whip, and bologna, and making a sandwich while he sings zippity doo I mean, that... <laughs> and, and I'm like, I, I love him, but I, I don't want that sandwich. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Um, yeah, that just makes me think about fried bologna, which... Um, you know, my, the people listening to this that aren't from the South, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. Do people in the North eat fried bologna? Um, I, don't, uh, I think farm people do. It's yeah. So good. Um, so this is funny. Like I have the weirdest, this is weird. I'm going to throw an, I'm going to do an audible here. If this is total trash, this doesn't work. I'll edit it out. Um, okay. So I'm going to tell you what picture of food I have. And I just want you to give me your first thought. Um, Okay. This was at a friend's house. It was um, baked cauliflower with smoked paprika, rosemary roasted potatoes, and salmon with a brown sugar glaze. (laughs) Well, you have me a cauliflower because that's my favorite, one of my favorite vegetables. That's your jam? You can do a lot with that, which I didn't realize you could. Dude, I can kill some cauliflower in every single way. What was my first thought is, Sean, you're eating really well. Yeah, wait, that was just the first one. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, this is actually good. Next on the thing is a Cuban sandwich from Havana Sandwich Shop with with, uh, yellow rice and um, black beans. Then, believe it or not, I have a picture of a Grand Mac box. Which is the, the new? The hell is a Grand Mac spot? It's the new. The it's the new like Big Mac that's bigger than the old one. Oh, <laughs> Sean, we have to have a talk. Listen, man. When they came out, I just thought, and and I'm not generally a a McDonald's guy, but uh, I was like, wait, they're making an extra large Big Mac. I have to go just see what this is the deal is. Just for I have not had another one. 
You had to go take a picture of it. That's what you had to go do. <laughs> I just actually I posted it. I I, po- I self shamed myself because I think I actually put it up and said I can't believe I just did this, but um, I had to go see it. Um, that's like the um, what the uh, Venti unicorn and rainbow. Oh yeah, no, I can't. Um, Starbucks that was out for a week. Um, it, it really was out for like a week and everyone lost their minds. And then it would it have like 700 grams of sugar in it. Yeah. And I was like, you know, in today's world, we need as many rainbows and unicorns <laughs> as possible. So carry on y'all. Oh, how about this? So pot roast with potatoes and onions and carrots cooked in the pot roast, baked, mm. baked macaroni and cheese, butter beans with fat back, um, uh, boiled green beans, uh, cream corn and a biscuit. I was at my mom's house. <laughs> I was just going to say you were at your mama's. <laughs> but it is hilarious, dude. Like, and the good, I guess the good news for me is I think I, looking back, I have more pictures of eating at people's homes than I do from out at places. But there are, you mentioned them since McDonald's came up. One of the things I wanted to ask you about um, <laughs> is I, I feel like one of the real challenges, I mean, obviously you and I and most of the people we know are extremely fortunate because we've arrived at a place in life where we have the means to be able to um, eat however we want, right? We can, you know, we can, we can, we can acquire food that's good for you. We can do those things. And I, you know, I just see that one of our biggest challenges from a health standpoint is really, um, trying to figure out how to communicate with people that maybe don't have the means to get good food in front of them. And, and when I buy good food, I mean healthy food. I mean, I feel like it's a real problem. Yeah. I, it, is a, it is a problem. I, I, I struggle with that because I came from a community that didn't have a lot of money, but yet we had good food. And, you know, when I, when I hear that, it creates a paradox because, um, you know, I, I, I've, I've been in their shoes, but, um, I also recognize that there are places that, um, do not have access to much at all. And it pains me tremendously that, um, part of our food culture and our food system it has uh, evolved to a point that those uh, certain areas that their number one sources uh, and of accessible food are fast foods and um, you know because it's cheap but you know that and, and it's become so imbued in their everyday that they don't see it themselves, but they're feeling it in terms of, you know, so many things. And we're certainly this, we could be opening up a Pandora's box because, you know, food is also very political and corporate and, you know, all of yeah. those things. But, you know, it, it does pain me that we have generations that now that, that is their norm. And they just don't know what they don't know. But what I do know is that just like in my upbringing, um, that 
I there's not a day that as a kid that uh, went by that we were not going to the garden for something. And that was my norm. And when kids in particular who have grown up in an area where fast food has been their primary source or a discount grocery store has been their primary source of food and they're you know, buying food based on coupons, um, which often are you know very high in fat, sugar, or they're just not balanced whole foods or processed. Right. Um, that when they do connect with a garden and growing something, their life opens up and they realize that they haven't been exposed to something and that there's a lot more than what they, what their everyday has been. And that's exciting. And I love those hearing that. And, and, and I do hope you know, beyond all the politics and the corporating of food and, you know, our food system, I do hope that um, we can get to a much better place at that. And I do see signs of that improving um, because I, I think that there are just everyday people who see the value in that and are working on their own um, to do better. Yeah. And I think that, you know, as we continue to talk, you know, we society continues to talk and information comes out. I think about just how dangerous, um, those foods can be if that's all you have, you know, I mean, I think that's important. Like the more we see, it's like, Hey, guess what? This can kill you, but more importantly, you can kill your kids. Um, you know, that'll help drive people away. One thing that's really interesting that I was going to ask you, I mean, I'm, I have a feeling I know what the answer is, but well, two things. The first thing is, is to your point, I don't have children, so this is a little different for me. Um, but we ate at the table every night, you know, and I think that's really important. Like yeah. if I have kids, that would be a rule. Like we are sitting down and eating dinner together, period, full stop, right? Like there's going to be no negotiation there unless somebody's at an event or something. But I think that's been lost a lot. And I get it too. Like people are, it's dual income. And to your point, it's really easy, right? To just go pick food up. But, but I feel like that's why where we came from, I mean, we had food because it was grown. But I think there was this idea of like, we're going to sit down and eat, right? Like yeah. we're going to sit down together and eat. And nobody wants to sit around with bags of, you know what I mean? Like a bag from so and so. Like short of ordering the occasional pizza, you know, my mom pretty much made all the food I ever ate or my grandmother. Um, and and most often those foods were pretty simple, you know. I think that yeah. Oh, yeah. that part of the conversation gets glossed over, and I see that. You know, I have these conversations all the time when I'm on the road and you know going to different cities and doing appearances and things and connecting with everyday cooks. Is that you miss a part of the equation with that? Is that there is a, a an underlying assumption that to sit down at the table means that you have to cook something that takes a lot of time and is very involved, and that's not the case. You know, my, my grandmother at 4 o'clock uh, would go out the back door of our kitchen with her enamel uh, um, dishpan and her paring knife, and she would just, you know, snip or whatever was ready in the garden and bring it in the kitchen and, you know, if it was purple beans, she'd put it in 
um, some water and, <laughs> you know, cook them until they were soft, you know, with some salt and pepper, maybe some bacon in it. That didn't take much time. You know, it doesn't take a lot of effort. And it was pretty simple, but we were eating well. And we did sit down at the table. And I think that we kind of roll our eyes and do a big sigh of like, oh, you know, it's just so much effort. But, um, and, and here we are. I do want to acknowledge that you and I are both people who do not have children. So, you know, that's not part of our everyday experience. But I do, you know, in my role in the food world, I'm very aware. I'm acutely aware of that. And I'm a very involved uncle um, and see that, you know, with my sisters and, and my brother and, and their families. But I, I, I know what the realities are about that. But, but I do see that this assumption that it has to be, it's too complicated. And we just, like, tire out before we actually make the effort. And then I think back to what my, the early days of my upbringing, that, you know, we didn't, Food can be pretty simple and taste really good. It doesn't have to take a lot of time to put together. Yeah, and the takeaway is is that bacon makes everything good. So <laughs> if you just put bacon in it, it's going to be fine. Because that's how all the to your point, like we would have you know same thing. My grandmother would go cut stuff, and there was some you know usually some fat back or some bacon or something, and you know you put it in there. But it's um it's I think the other thing too where I think parents maybe fall down on this is <clears throat> is also I think the onus and again especially in the southern culture where the onus generally speaking will fall on the woman right like that's her responsibility um but what even when I was a kid like my grandmother involved me you know and that's the thing that doesn't make it I think so tedious if people thought about cooking as like a as a group project instead of like we're gonna go do something else and mom or dad or whoever go in there and feed me but you know my grandma would be like peel this or cut these or, you know, and then it becomes a, it becomes an, an activity, right? It's like a shared, and I think that would make it a lot, but I don't think people do that. I've seen it. I've been to friends' houses and, you know, somebody goes, I'm going to go make food for everybody. And the kids are playing video games. It's like, well, why don't you have them come do something? Yeah. You know, what's really funny. Um, this is going into my personal food story, but, um, I, my mother worked and she would come home at, 4.30, and so I would get home from school around 2.15. And so up until fourth grade, uh, I had a babysitter in the neighborhood, um, someone, usually um, one of the mothers of one of the men that my mother worked with, so it was like somebody that we knew. And when I was 10, my babysitter, she couldn't watch kids anymore, and I begged my mother to just let me come home um, after school rather than having another babysitter. And she agreed. So I became, I, I, I was like, a, I was a latchkey kid. I hated that term, but I, I was too. School at I was too. At, at 10 years old, I would come home at 2.15 and mama would get home at 4.45. And I made it my job to make dinner. I, <laughs> I used to, that's awesome. Before I would do homework, I my mom she had the Betty Crocker kids uh, or Betty Crocker boys and girls cookbook um, that I think was from 1961, and I actually have the original um, copy um, from her. She gave me it for Christmas a couple of years ago, but I studied that thing 
every day after school, and I made it my mission to master everything in that little cookbook. And so I became the, the uh, primary cook for dinner for our family, and um, which is a totally different thing than what you know normally happens, and a lot more than just involving your kid in peeling potatoes or whatever. But right, right. I loved it. I used to. It's so funny. I look back on it now. I I would um, study that, and I also got a subscription to People Magazine, and I studied pop culture as much as I study food, and look what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) That is hilarious. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that is very not, but not you know. But the thing is, too, is if though, is if you just who knows, like there might be other kids that find out they really like it, and that's how they find their path. Like you have to expose kids to stuff. You know, yeah, like, but I mean, I look at those, I look at those recipes now, and I'm like, you know, they were <laughs> really basic, but, um, but I, I, I was rushed in it. I and I, I felt good about what I made. You know, my, I, I found pictures not too long ago. Um, um, <laughs> kind of funny story. Uh, my very first official dinner party was uh, when I was ten. I uh, mastered the uh that boys and girls cookbook and so i i jumped up to the (laughs) big betty crocker cookbook (laughs) and for mama's birthday i made steak diane twice baked potatoes (laughs) and peas (laughs) and i thought i was big shit yeah of course are you kidding (laughs) like i don't i mean yeah and i have pictures i have pictures of that and you know now that was a med what, in 1979, 1980, so the, the photos are, you know, yellowed and look like they're from the 70s, but um, I love those freaking pictures for that, I was so proud of myself. So did you actually um, do the flambe part, though? Like, isn't, isn't Steak per- Diane flambe? Um, or am no, I not remembering it's, that it's, right? <laughs> it's, it's a pan sauce. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. No, I, I probably would have if it did have a flambe. So I probably would have done it, but um, burn the damn I probably would have done it before. I, I would have done it before Mama came home from work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, I still say all the time, like it's funny because you know, obviously, you know, my wife is from Chicago. She's Jewish. Like, talk about culturally, you couldn't get any different. Um, but I still, to this day, and I love it, is cube steak. And it's literally the worst cut of meat you could possibly buy, right? Like it's generally pretty tough because it was inexpensive. But, and I don't know what my mom did, but she would pan fry that thing and make up some brown gravy. And I still can just, you know, I mean, because it can dog on that food. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's an awful piece of meat, right? It's, there's nothing redeeming about it, but I love it. I still love it. But that gravy is pretty damn good. It really is. <laughs> I got still in a just a cast iron, <laughs> like brown gravy in a cast iron skillet. That, that I mean, that I could probably drink it. I mean, that's how much I, how much I love it. Um, oh, here's you what eat it with rice, um, mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes. We were not a rice. W- th- there was there was very little rice in our world, um, unless it was tomatoes and rice. When I was a kid, that was pretty common mm-hmm. because we had tomatoes in the garden, so there was tomatoes and everything. 
yeah, I still I still love a tomato sandwich. My my grandmother, you know, she would go pull the big, you know, she'd have the huge um oh my gosh, um like beefsteak tomatoes. Yeah, that's, the big boy. That's right, right, isn't it? The real big ones. Um yeah. she would have she, when they would get ripe, she would pull them and she had one of those kitchens where the kitchen sink had the window that looked out into the garden. You know, it was kind of like mm-hmm. you're straight out of central casting, you know, like small southern house, you know. <laughs> And she would put them in the windowsill, which is where she would also put pies to cool and stuff like that to just take the stereotype even further. Um, but, you know, they were fair game because you had to eat them. So mm-hmm. a lot of days I'd come home from school and just get two pieces of ripe bread, cut one of those potatoes, just mayonnaise, black pepper, off and running. <laughs> yeah. And I still love those things, right? Like we, uh, I grew up with tomato canned tomatoes and tomato juice i as a child loved tomato juice and you know kids at school thought i was insane (laughs) but my we had up until my grandfather passed away a year and a half ago and up until um he got really sick we always had a garden in our family and there were always at least you know 10 to 20 tomato plants So during summertime, we always had tomatoes, you know, to the point where uh, you gave them away. But my grandmother canned tomatoes and canned tomato juice, and that was in our family pantry. I thought it was normal, you know, and I looked at people buying the stuff at the grocery store. I'm like, are you out of your damn mind? (laughs) Like... That is not tomato juice, but we were, you know, that tomatoes in every form, in every way during the summer was very much part of breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah, so my grandmother, she put up stuff to use a... um, a southern term, but the same thing with the peaches. Like, So we would always have peach preserves that she would make. And that's actually something that I've had a hard time finding. Like, I wish I could find a place where I could consistently get stuff that reminded me of that. I mean, she, you know, it was just, she had the mason jars and whatever she did with cooking them down and the sugar and how, you know what I mean? And then, you know, uh, but. She probably did it very simply and it was just peach, really good peaches and sugar. There probably was no other treatment to it, which is what made them <laughs> so good. And you can't find something like it. Yeah, so I mean, there's occasionally a circumstance where I'll be in some place that is, um, you know, usually it's a it might be a farmer's market or something like that. Where I mean, usually if I can find a jar or something like that that's got a label that was handwritten and basically mm-hmm. says this has th- this will go bad, you have to eat it immediately. I'll buy it because I know somebody probably just made it. <laughs> that's probably dangerous, yeah. you know, because you're just buying some random. You just never know. But I'm kind of a sucker for that kind of stuff. Um, uh, but you know, same thing. Like I just, I never understood like buying jelly or jam from the store. I mean, no, that just was not anything that would ever occur. You know what I mean? It was weird. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so here's what I was going to say earlier about when we were talking about the kids and stuff, I stopped, I, I took us down a weird road, but one thing I think a friend of mine's doing now that I thought was really interesting that we don't do. And it's funny because one of his kids now, and I think she's 12 years old, but she's seriously talking about wanting to, you know, have food as a profession. Like she's talking about culinary school, like whatever, but he started doing this. Um, is it blue apron? Yeah. Where the they home delivery kit. 
where they send the stuff and you know and you and it's just the ingredients and you make it is that the deal yeah but it's already pre-measured and they give you the recipe to follow and you put it together and there you go so his well when she started when she was like 10 i think now she's 11 or 12 but that's like her whole universe you know, like she was so excited about that, but now she's stepped out of it where now it's like, no, no, I need to, it's kind of like you with the boys and girls, like, right. She's like, no, I need to do this for real. Like, I just want you to get me a regular cookbook. Like no more of this, like showing up with all the right portions and stuff. Like I want to get, find some stuff I want to make and we're going to go to the store and we're going to get <laughs> ingredients, which I think is great. Yeah. You know, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I think that's one of the things about home delivery kits that, you know, there's a lot of, they certainly are part of our culture now. Um, and there are many different, um, varieties. I, you know, made some dishes that are part of, uh, Peach Dish, which is out of Atlanta. Oh, cool. Um, sorry and, if I promoted a competitor. <laughs> oh, it's, it, it's fine. I just did a little, um, shameless plug there. Yeah, no, plug, uh, plug away. But, but I learned, I, I learned quite a bit about doing that where, you know, there, there are so many different, uh, variety of, uh, home delivery kits and they really are, there's some are regional. And so there are a lot of choices across the country. And, you know, the big conversation is like, is it really getting people cooking? And, you know, are people actually going to, um, cook more? And I'm always going back to the early part of this conversation was, Anything that gets people into the kitchen and gets people connecting with food, I'm all for, because that's about home cooking. And if you're, we're taking people uh, who or families who weren't normally um, gathering in the kitchen and cooking something, and these kids do that, and then it inspires kids like this, you know, young girl then that's an awesome thing. And there are going to be uh, kids who are like, wow, I actually kind of like this, and I want to, you know, graduate and do something more. I mean, exactly what she's doing, saying, Dad, I want to I, I, I want to really do this, you know, go to the store and get ingredients and do this myself. It's exactly what happened with me graduating from the Betty Crocker, you know, Boys and Girls Cookbook to the big, fat book. <laughs> right. Um, I was ready for more. Yeah, well, sure. But I think that's how a lot of people find their their natural progression. But it's just, again, it's about exposure. I mean, I, I think... But I also think a really cool thing is that dad and daughter are cooking together in the kitchen. That's awesome. Yeah, and, you know, and, and the mom, too. And actually, it's not... You know, she's got a younger brother, and he's really into it, too. You know, like, so, yeah. you know, everyone sort of participates. But again, I mean, I sort of draw, I mean, he's one of those, like we eat together, we're going to sit down and eat like, unless, you know, just schedules won't allow because swim team and soccer, you know, but, right. but if we have, if we're all here at dinner time, people just aren't going to be off in their rooms. Like that's not going to happen. <laughs> so, um, but you know, you know, actually I think it's beyond that. I think it's important for all of us. So whether it's you and Holly or it's just myself that, I, it's important for all of us to make a point to sit down, even if it's for 10 minutes at the table and, you know, either drinking coffee in the morning um, or just to, to stop for a short bit 
is so much more than just constantly being on the go, go, go. Well, well, yeah. I mean, and, and you're right. I mean, it's not just kids. I mean, Holly and I do try to, now I will say that we generally have tray tables and we'll go sit in front of the TV and watch Jeopardy because we're apparently 135 years old. And Um, you're also very competitive with each other. (laughs) We really are. Um, um, so, you know, it, but it is, again, it just goes back to this whole communal thing. And we both really like to, you know, we both really like to eat. I mean, I really do like to eat. Um, really? Yeah. It's, um, I weigh 240 pounds, Chadwick. Um, <laughs> something's got a, uh, I'm six foot four and weigh 240 pounds. <laughs> there, this, there requires so the amount of gasoline required to fuel this ship is significant. Um, <laughs> But that's been a struggle for me just because of the whole, we've talked about this before. I mean, I, I, I like to go and have really nice things, but I'm not going to lie to you, man. Sometimes stuff that's really fancy kind of pisses me off. I mean, because I, I, and again, that's probably not the right word. I mean, but just, you know, it's like, I get it. I, and I don't know enough, right? Like, because I know with some of these dishes, there's probably a lot into it. Like, you know what? The flavor profile and this with this is supposed to be awesome because, but at my knowledge level is not that deep. And, you know, I, and like I said, I still just like to go to damn Waffle House sometimes, you know, and I know that they're not mutually exclusive, right? That's okay. But I've had to well, try to learn, right? And learn more because, you know, I get a craving for, you know, macaroni and cheese and i go see it and i'm like what's it and then there's something weird in it and i'm like what <laughs> what's going on well that's actually what i love about my new series real food at the movies that it is you know it i that hit that's in fourteen thousand five hundred movie screens every month across the country so that means that i'm reaching 40 over 40 million people every month and you know they're short very quick, but you know when you are bringing food to that many people, you have to appeal to a broad palate, right? Yeah. And what I love about um, doing it and the challenge of doing that is to bring really good food to everyday people like you that likes you know certain things and and not make them. Uh, austere, like, you know, what's in that mac and cheese? Like, I want just a really good classic mac and cheese, right? Because that's what's in your taste buds. Um, and right now, the, the episode that the movie theaters is, uh, my sloppy Joe burgers. When I was a kid, I loved sloppy Joe's and sloppy yeah. Joe's was something that we made at least one night, if not two nights a week. And, you know, that is Heinz ketchup. Yellow mustard, <laughs> brown sugar, you know, cider vinegar, and ground beef, and you know, with some green pepper and money. Like that was the jam. And I thought, and my nephew, my nephew Carter, he's ten and he loves sloppy joes. And he said, Uncle Chadwick, I think you um, you should do sloppy joes for um, in your next show. And I said, Well, what about what if we did, what if I did a sloppy Joe burger? Because everybody loves burgers. You know, sloppy Joes are kind of, they're sloppy intentionally. Um, and, and I, 
recreated a burger using all of the ingredients in the original Sloppy Joe recipe, but reimagined as a burger. And so it uses all of those ingredients. And that is the best response that we've gotten from a real food episode. People are like, man, that's awesome. And guys and kids and everything's like, wow, that's so great. Or I forgot about Sloppy Joe's and every, you know, I love those flavors. And every episode that um, we shoot and that I come up with, I try to be really conscious about that mindset that you just described, which is I don't want food that separates me. I want good food that I can connect with and yet use good ingredients. And I'm having a lot of fun um, doing that uh, with this show and getting the response of everyday people. You know, like, wow, I never, um, like I grilled uh, avocados which I think you've had. Mm-hmm. And, but it, people are like, oh my God, you can grow avocados. I'm like, yeah. The other cool thing is those, when you go to the grocery store, there's nothing more um, uh, of a turnoff than picking up, you know how they have those huge piles of avocados when you come yes. into the grocery store and you go up to them and they are rock hard. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and then you're just like, but I want avocado or I want guacamole right now. And you can't do that with a rock-hard avocado. But if you grill them, they soften in five to seven minutes. And suddenly it becomes like your own personal guacamole for, uh, um, or, or guacamole and chips for a party. And just like those little tricks are like, wow, that's so simple. And I can do that. And that's what I'm having such a blast doing with real food. I feel like I could consult with you on this. Um, (laughs) if you're ever dry on ideas, um, that you can call me, um, yeah, it's funny, you know, so, and, and for people listening, this is why I abuse my friendship with Chadwick because on the rare occasion that I feel like I want to make something for something and I'll get some hair ass brained idea and I'll call Chadwick and be like, Hey man, (laughs) is this stupid? It's not okay. How do I do it? (laughs) So but what I was reminded of is New Year's last year or this past year when our friends we go spend with New Year's wanted me to bring mac and cheese. And I was like, what can I do, right, that I don't want to just bring mac because, you know, that's not my style. Like, I don't want to do something. If I'm going to do it, like, I want it to be have some pizzazz. And uh, so, but it's funny the way you explain now with the Sloppy Joes and stuff, which it was manwich for me when I was a kid. We That's what we got it in the, in the can. <laughs> Which is awful, but you know, kids. But um, but see, you know that to, not to you know diverge from your story, but we like that never occurred to us. We were so simple that right. it's like you have to make it. Like right. that's there is no choice. Like there there ain't no can. <laughs> you got to make it. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just because that's how life was. But here's the thing. So what I came up with that I wanted to do for the New Year's thing that Chadwick so graciously walked me through so it wasn't a disaster is I wanted to make a mac and cheese. I wanted to do the sauce from scratch, but I wanted to do like a Philly mac and cheese or a Philly chicken mac and cheese. So like take a Philly chicken sandwich and project it onto mac and cheese. But you know Which what? Which was a damn good idea. And it was great. I mean, it came out really, really good. 
But you know where that came from is because I used to love Hamburger Helper. And it's such a terrible, like I actually, when Holly went out of town like two years ago, I mean, there's no telling how many times I ate Hamburger Helper in college. I mean, astronomical. Um, (laughs) And I went and bought a box and brought it home. And I just, it was mortifying how not good it is. Right? Like, it's just not good at all. Um, But to your point, right? Like, that was the thing. It's like, okay, well, conceptually, I like it because I like pasta and it's got a lot of flavor and it's kind of saucy and... But that's where that came from, right? The mac and cheese idea. It's like, okay, how can I make something that's kind of hamburger helperish, but not hamburger helper? Um, that's a you know, that's a mac and cheese that's got some, a little more flair, and and it came out and, great. And to me, because I grew up outside of Philadelphia, that it made total sense to me because of cheese sauce being a you know a big part of a Philly cheesesteak. I was like, okay, this is great. I think actually where you and I differed was actually or on the cheeses because I was like you have to use American or provolone. Uh, yes, and what I ended up, I think I actually ended up using provolone, and uh, no, that's what I did because you told me. I think I'd originally bought um, I'd originally bought provolone and maybe a Gruyere. Something and, and you were like, no, 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 get American. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I did switch at the last minute, but it was because um, it had to be, it had to be legit. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. I mean, it really, really was good. But like, I Holly and I started making our own pizzas, and that was a big thing for me because I love pizza, love it, and I always just thought it would be way too tedious. And don't get me wrong, like rolling out dough and. You know, we buy the dough from like the gr- the grocery has the pre made. You know, they make it in, in yeah. the day, and I grab a bag of the dough. But I just thought it would be way too tedious. But um, you know, you can do whatever you want. You can use really good cheese. I made I made I came up with my own sauce recipe that I make that I make cold. It's just a cold sauce. And um, before you know, before you bake it. But point being, like, and this goes back to what I'm driving at is what you talked about earlier is I find that in the times when I do step out of the box and go to make something, I dread it even before I'm going to do it just like anything, but it is so gratifying when you're done and it's fun for other people to eat food you make. It's just fun. And and that's what yeah, I think people I think lose. If they don't do it, you don't get that feeling. No, yeah, but it's also pretty cool where, you know, you have got a friend where, you bring something over and, and they're like, you made that? And they're like, Oh, cool. Yeah. And then, you know, it makes it part. Well, I'm going to, you know, I'm support my friends. So I'm going to, you know, already, I already love this without even tasting it. And it really doesn't matter what it tastes like, but it's just that whole, it's the whole exchange and the experience of, of doing it. I think, you know, one of the more frustrating things about what I do, you know, whether you read, the food that I make for Better Homes and Gardens or that I make on television or in any cookbook is that um, I will always make the foods with style. That's just how I cook. Yep. And I'm really big on pictures because I think people need to see, if they're not as confident of cooks, they need to see kind of what their end result needs to resemble, right? Sure. But one of the more frustrating things that I get time and time and time and time and time and time again 
is I failed because my food doesn't look like yours. And I'm like, oh my God, right? it right. doesn't have to. Right. And there, the truth is that even the most experienced cooks, if you gave us, you know, the same 10 of us, the same recipe, none of them would look the same. And that's just the way of cooking. And so, you know, I, going back to the mac and cheese thing, I didn't taste your mac, your silly mac and cheese, but I was like, that is a super cool idea, and I loved it already. Well, sure. And it didn't matter if it looked, you know, <laughs> a magazine cover worthy. I was like, dude, I'm really proud of you that you did that. That's really cool. There you go. Yeah, I mean, the first pizza I made, honestly, it looked like some type of amoeba bacteria formation. Like, it was, you know, because I didn't know how to roll dough. I mean, it was, it wasn't, you did it. it wasn't round. <laughs> and, you know, I learned some lessons, but it was good, right? It was kind of messy and it was kind of whatever. But, you know, but that's sort of the, that's the other thing, too, that I think it's cool about making food is it's an improvable thing, right? Like, so the guts are there and it's oh. like, next time, oh, next time. You know, and you can also play with it, right? So it's like once you get one thing down, it's like, and this is where Holly's really good, right? Holly's good at just going, what's a variable I can throw in this time? You know what I mean? That will maybe, you know, like I always do it this way, but I'm just going to try to do something a little different. And that's where I think, you know, cool ideas come from. You know, it's um, suddenly, suddenly I just heard Holly's voice going, you know what would be really good is. <laughs> yeah, exa <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> She's the king of like the, let's just see what we got and I'll make it work. You know, like, because yeah. when she makes food, she can just go pull stuff out and come up with something really amazing, you know, just from what we have on hand, um, with yeah. not necessarily a great plan, which, which I could not do. Like, I'm definitely at a point where I'm bound by, uh, if I'm going to do something like some kind of recipe, um, she, however, is not, she can sort of just, you know, judge it and make it happen, which is cool. Um, so we've talked about so much philosophical stuff. So you're doing, you're doing real food. Um, you're obviously doing shows and stuff constantly. Um, you've got your cookbooks. Um, and you're about to do something with Dolly Parton or did you just do it? Uh, no, I, my project with Dolly was um, early or late last year. Oh, late last year. Okay. Um, yeah, it, that was a while ago. That was part of um, launching her new resort in um, the Smoky Mountains. Mm. Did you actually get to work with Dolly? Um, I just a bit, not as much as I wanted to. But she's, you know, a lovely human being. She's also, you know, one of those people that. Um, is so magnified that we have this ideal of what she is, but she's pretty true to that. Yeah, she's kind um, of one of my you know, one of my heroes. I love her. Yeah, <laughs> similar to um, um, I have friends who have worked with her directly uh, for many years, and she's historically known for showing up early, and she's always prepared. She knows her mind. She knows what she's doing. And brings levity to any le pressure level of pressure situation, and um, that's you know very much part of what most people see 
you know, on television or wherever. And but that's very much part of who she is. And um, I, um, I have mad respect for that because that's not always the case in in my world. Well, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so, are you just continuing on with the eight hundred twelve projects? You got anything big on the horizon? Any fun stuff coming up? Oh gosh, um, I think. You know, I'm I'm super excited about real food. It's an innovation in uh, movie entertainment, and what I love about it is that it's kind of going back to uh, the old school way of doing movies, um, but in the new format. So, you know, in Atlanta, there are a lot of theaters that they're actually installing recliners, where and you reserve your seat, and mm-hmm. you know exactly where you're going to go, and um, they're serving food and stuff like that. And so um, we're, we're trying to take real food to a more experiential level, which I'm super excited about um, to make, instead of just watching me on screen, we're going to make that um, an experience, which is kind of disnified. And I'm super excited about that. And I'm intentionally being, a big tease right now and, and <laughs> kind of setting that up. Teases are good. But that's um, kind of on the horizon. And, um, you know, right now, summertime from a television standpoint is a, um, a slow time. Uh, and we'll, the new season will kick in in September. And that means we'll start taping in the beginnings of um, August. And I'm excited about what we've got going on there. But, you know, um, <clears throat> um, I, I've had a busy, really full couple of years, and I'm also taking time to be a very involved uncle. I've got a four-month-old niece who's in uh, the, the Northeast, and I've got a one-and-a-half-year-old nephew who suddenly has become a major Phillies fan and <laughs> that's awesome. And I want you, it's so funny. You won't go anywhere without his Phillies cap. Um, but, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, making them a priority and doing some more things with them. And, um, that's, that's what's happening. Awesome. Certainly people can find me on Facebook uh, on my fan page at Chadwick Boyd, and um, I love to have conversations with folks. And you know, you know, going back to the the uh, taking pictures of food thing, I I love when people make my food. You know, whether you know they go to Food Fifty Two or Kitchen or see me in theaters, and they actually go home and make it and take a picture of it and then share it with me on Twitter or on oh, my yeah. Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, it brings me a lot of joy when I wake up in the morning and I check social media and it's like, oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This guy, this guy, he was a sportscaster um, a couple of days ago. He's like, dude, I saw you make these sloppy Joe burgers in the theaters and I'm, in, I'm making, I'm actually making these right now. And an hour or two later, he's like, dude, Dude, <laughs> <laughs> he's like fist bump. Yeah, and you know he, he sent me, 
And I was like, okay, so that's good, right? <laughs> he was laughing, but then he took a picture of it. And I'm like, that's awesome. Um, that, I, I love that. Yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, I think that it's fun to impact. I mean, it, and it's all about levels. I've had similar experiences with the podcasts, you know, where people have reached out and, you know, and even just to praise you what you do. But for me, like the biggest thing is, is I've gotten quite a few of these of people going, I think I want to do one of these. And I'm like, you should, you fucking should, right? Like, a meet, like, go do it, right? Like, if you have a drive to create, you should create. Don't let things stop you from creating, right? It can't be about how many people will see it, you know, like just go create. I mean, it's fun. You know, even if no one listened to these things and I've been lucky that I've had, you know, some people tune in, but even if they didn't like making them for the joy for me is in making them. That stuff's just, just gravy to use a pun. Um, well, but it, it comes, goes back to the beginning of our conversation. It's that um, curiosity, you know, stepping into something like, I don't know exactly how this is going to turn about, but I'm curious enough to get into it and see where it goes. And it's really not about the final outcome. Um, and, and I try to be really mindful of that in everything that I do. Uh, you know, I don't think about the fact that, you know, in the month of June, 40, more than 40 million people are going to see me on a movie screen. What I do and is I get curious about like, wow, taking sloppy joes that I love and turning that into <laughs> a burger, that I'm really, that's cool. Like I want to get into that and make it something good. And it just happens to be shared with a lot of people. But, you know, if I, if that reached two people or, you know, however many people, just like your podcast, like the fun is in the actual doing of it. Yeah, I mean, I know you got a lot going on, but you should seriously consider this medium. I think you would be fabulous at it. And it's a really, really easy way to get out in front of people that like you. Um, and, you know, anyway, just file that in the way in the back of your head. I, th I think well, you would have a so, killer podcast. It's so funny that you said that because I, um, I took a vacation. First time in two years, I actually fully unplugged. And... Uh, I started listening to podcasts, which I had never done before. I knew about them. Certainly, I have colleagues who have you know, great award-winning podcasts and been leaders and all that kind of stuff, and, but I never really dug into it. And I, I've really gotten into them in the last month. And when you said, hey, I've got this podcast and you do this, and I'm like, really? <laughs> um, so I, it, I'm, I'm, my summer, is, this summer for me is the podcast summer i'm i'm learning quite a bit just listening to other people have conversations about things that i am curious about and i think it's a wonderful uh medium to share information good information and connect with people that are interesting that i wouldn't normally connect with well for sure and definitely <clears throat> excuse me definitely um if you run across any podcasts that you really like um send send me them because i've now this is just that's all I, it's all i listen to anymore um you know i feel like there are a lot you can just do a lot you know I, i've talked to holly about this you know a bunch of times my wife works at cnn for those of you that don't know um and it's the cool thing about it is is just that, again we talked about this earlier rules there are none 
right? Like when you, I mean, and, and not that that is necessarily better or worse, but it's different. So like when you're doing real food segments, you have, con- you know, constraints in a sense of like, you only have, you have a certain amount of time you have, you know, and, and one of the things that's been really interesting about this is just, it, you can, you can just go, right? You can be as long or as short as you want. It's your thing. And that's what I like because I feel like people tend to explore in podcasts when they're they're not thinking about a lot of structure. They tend to be very unstructured, which is, I think, for me, promotes people to relax. Like I feel like guests and people that I listen to, they tend to open up more because it's just like, a, like I told you before we started taping. It's like it's just a conversation. So, you know, just we can stop in 20 minutes or we can stop in five hours. You know, we can talk about food or we can talk about you know what I mean? Like your favorite car, like it doesn't matter, right? Like obviously for you, I like talking about food because that's what you know. And it's super interesting for me to hear what you have to say about all this, but they can be anything you want. It's great. (laughs) Well, I hope that we talked about some compelling things. We did. And we're going to, and actually what I wanted to do last thing, and I appreciate you giving me so much of your time, but I wanted to play a game. Um, and I'm going to put, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, but I'm also going to participate. And because I'm not a preparer, I'm kind of doing like I didn't think about my answers in advance. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to name an extremely common either meal or food item. And off the top of your head, I want you to think of one thing that you could add to it, change it, do to it or whatever to just make it interesting or different or. You know what I'm saying? Like, just like try it, try it this way. So I'll give you. You want to know how I? You want to know how I would wamp it up? Yeah, like how could you spin it off? How could you spin it from just the normal thing? So, like, I'll give you an example. I'll do the first one. So the first one, I'll let you go second, but you're gonna go first after this. So the first one I'm gonna say is hamburger, and for me, it's a fried egg. I love a fried egg on a hamburger. Love it. Do you like fried egg on hamburger? We can talk about this too. It doesn't have to be like rapid fire i like eggs on everything eggs are my number one favorite food mine too i could eat eggs for every meal i love eggs and not get tired of them a good egg salad my goodness like an egg salad sandwich boy i i I will bite somebody's arm off for a really good egg salad sandwich yeah i just made i did hard-boiled eggs because um I was making a salad the other day and I just did a bunch of them. And the other day I got home and I whipped up a batch of egg salad myself. And, uh, it was, I, it was, I was just going to have one sandwich and I eat, I ended up eating, eating three sandwiches. <laughs> That's how good I thought my own egg salad was. So what about it? So I guess hamburger is going to be sloppy Joe. We've kind of already covered that for you. It's like what you can do to a, a hamburger to, to church it up. Um, yeah, but I, you know what? The other thing for me for a burger is a really good bun. If I have a really shitty bun, okay. I, I'm not into, I like a really good, um, crisp up brioche bun, like really like crispy on the outside, but soft and tender on the inside. Butter and because or I no? like that. Um, yeah, a little bit, not a lot. Okay. But I I like that to be part of my burger experience because for me a burger is like when I grab it with my hand I want my fingers to sink into the bun mm-hmm. and then I want to like taste all of it and if it's a really just crappy regular <laughs> you know bun I'm like eh like I I want I want a really good bun 
Yeah, totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. All right. Biscuits. <laughs> I'm throwing you a sweet spot one right there. That's a that's a that's a that's a softball if there ever has been one. No, it's actually not a softball because well, there's eight thousand of them. I know you're that's when, your, I know biscuits are your thing. My thing is creative biscuits, so that's not fair. <laughs> well, well, you can well bang out a couple. Like, what are what are a, a few of the? I, know, I mean, I know because I felt like you did like almost a whole series. Like, you went through a thing where you were just coming up with all these great biscuit ideas. Um, what are a couple well, that you really liked? My cauliflower biscuits really kick ass. I will ad- fully admit that. So, um, so, and, so, walk me through that. Like, are they just in them, or are they taking the place of some other ingredient, or like, how does that? No, work? this is not about. I am not about like I'm going to take something out to, and replace it with something healthy just for doing that. Like, I, my cauliflower biscuits are a true drop biscuit, and they have full on real chunks of good cauliflower. Okay. And they are foolproof. Anybody can, anybody can Google my recipe and make them now. Um, but they're drop biscuits and you can't mess them up. The thing about biscuits is that you, um, people get, tend to be scared of them because they're like, I don't know if I roll them too much or if it's hot enough or how long I bake or whatever, which really is not necessary, but that's, a lot of people are scared about biscuits. Mm-hmm. Do not be scared about my cauliflower biscuits. And they also have bacon in them. So the, and cheese. So, you know, it's like a, it's like a twice baked potato as a drop biscuit. And when you bite into it, you bite into chunks of cauliflower. But I have people who do not like cauliflower or do not like vegetables. And they are converts the moment that they take the first bite. Well, sure. I mean, it sounds amazing. And we've already established that bacon always makes everything better. So, like, you can't go wrong there. Is there Are there any other iterations that you have, that you really like other than the cauliflower? You know, actually, so um, what's, what I'm loving playing around with are carrot biscuits. I mm. roast carrots in, with honey, and which are really delicious on their own. But when you mash them and then put them into a biscuit rather than a sweet potato biscuit, it's a roasted carrot biscuit. And they are, I'm excited about bringing that recipe um, out for people to, to make, but I'm having a lot of fun with that. I, I'll tell you what I love about, um, I'm loving about biscuits. I love to add fruits or vegetables to them. Mm-hmm. And the reason being is that typically fruit and vegetables are not a biscuit's best friend because moisture right. tends to, um, is a biscuit's enemy. And I love playing around with the chemistry of biscuits to make it work. It's my own personal and professional challenge. Um, and so I'm having a lot of fun with that. I would like to, if you haven't done it already, um, because when it comes to breaded items and fruit, um, I love, we've already established peaches, but blue blueberries. So if, if you ever came out with a peach biscuit or a blueberry biscuit, like I would probably get on a fast, a wild dog to New York, like right away. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have, it's funny you said that I'm making blackberry biscuits. I'm having the blackberry Perfect. farmers from Oregon here in the test kitchen uh, later this weekend. And I'm making a blackberry and Gouda biscuit. That is 
it, it can rock your world. That sound. Oh, that sounds phenomenal. Um, yeah. So mine is much more simple for biscuits and it's again back from my childhood, but I actually like when I make them to just cut them open, like have them and, um, uh-huh. and just cover them in cane syrup. Interesting. And, um, because my grandmother, we always had cane syrup in the house cause maple syrup in the South was never, I mean that where right. we were, it just wasn't a thing, right? You were this it's a sacrilege. Um, but she, that was always dessert. Like she would make a huge pan of biscuits every, you know, when you, that was your bread with your meal and everyone held back one biscuit and you dunked it in cane syrup for dessert. That was, that was generally dessert if she hadn't made like a pie or a cake or something. Um, so I still to this day just have this thing about cane syrup and biscuits. I just freaking love it. Um, as like, well, kind of how I feel about cornbread. I like milk oh and cornbread God. for that very reason. I do. I, I love cornbread as well. Um, that's actually the other thing I would say. Do you do anything fancy with cornbread? Because I actually just had um, uh, a cornbread that had pecans and honey on them. Like the uh, cornbread was baked yeah. normal, and then the pecans and honey were just glazed. And that was yeah. really good. I like um, I like to add real corn to my cornbread. Yeah, I think that's I really like good. I like to actually do. taste the corn. And, you know, we're coming into summer corn season. I like to toast. I like to cut corn off the cob and toast it in a cast iron skillet and get it kind of charred and toasted to the point where it pops and then put that in the cornbread batter and that to me just like I you can leave me alone and I'll be a happy guy with that I saw your post you were just talking about that today the corn recipe weren't you on social media yeah I'm I have um, I, I did a big shoot here uh, yesterday and have some uh, fresh corn in the kitchen and you know I'm a cast iron guy I've got a big collection of cast iron and there is just something awesome that happens to fresh corn when you put it in a cast iron skillet that's just it'll change your life I think Uh, yes I mean that's obviously I mean my (laughs) grandmother made it that way I mean too with the cast iron just phenomenal I actually have a um, a uh, skillet corn recipe on southernkitchen.com uh, that uh, just came out. And, oh, cool. and it's got some fresh red pepper in it, which is really good. The key to, to skillet corn is salted butter. The oh, salted okay. butter, that, is, that will make the difference. Uh, and you said this is out on the web? Yeah, it's on southernkitchen.com. All right, I will uh I will link that recipe in the comments of the podcast so people cool. can see it. Um all right. I like this game, Sean. I'm get, we're we're, going, we're doing got? more. Nachos. Uh, <laughs> um I actually so this is something that Holly likes. I like to add roasted sweet potato chunks to my nachos. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever because had that. She, you may not have. I made this for game night. Um, I think the yeah, last I one like, I wasn't there. I was uh, out of town or whatever. Um, because I make a um, a lime cumin crema out of a container of Greek yogurt. Oh my! That is amazing. <laughs> it's super simple. You actually make it in the actual container. Um, with lime zest, lime juice, and salt, and ground cumin. And then you put that on top of the nachos with the, once you take it out of the oven, but you put the chunks of 
sweet potato or butternut squash along with your black beans and your cheese and the jalapenos and stuff. And then put that lime cumin crema on it. And it's just makes you pants. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, that sounds, uh, that sounds good. I, I actually think I shouldn't go second because now when I think about what mine would go, it sa- it sounds really awful. But I have what I like to call redneck nachos where you do yeah. all the same normal stuff you do for nachos, but instead of tortilla chips, you do them over tater tots or hash browns. <laughs> That'll change it. get down with that. That'll change your life, my friend. <laughs> here's the thing. I, I'm, I'm kind of fussy about tater tots. Oh, really? I, How do you mean? Yeah, they for me they need to all be crispy. Okay. None of them. You can't have the soft ones. No, <laughs> that just makes my skin crawl. Uh, I'm I'm kind of I like the crispy. Here's the thing though, like I like crispy, but the worst though is when they're o- o- like too far and the whole thing's hard. That to me, like I would rather have soft than that than overdone. But I like them. I like them crispy as well. But here's the thing: if you do redneck nachos, they have to be crispy because they just come apart. You know what I'm saying? Like they've got to have it be sturdy because you have all that, you know, beef or chicken and sour cream and you know what I mean, like salsa and all that other stuff yeah. on there. And it, you know, they they can get a little bogged down. But that's a great like I don't care if I'm killing myself kind of food. Um, <laughs> is um just nachos with tater tots instead of chips or hash browns. If you want to do like shredded, shredded potatoes. Um, I'm waiting for that to be a waffle house option, to be honest with you. (laughs) It's like, just put the nacho things on top of it. Um, I wonder how that would do. I don't know. I don't know. It'd be interesting though. Um, they've got everything else. You can get jalapenos, you you know, it's like, you wouldn't have to add that much. I actually generally, if I get, I like, I like waffle house chili on Waffle House hash browns. So, um, all right, that's what, what um, scattered smothered covered chunks and tops, right? That's yeah, what top, that is. Topped is, yeah, topped is chili. Uh, chili. Yeah, smothered onions, yeah. covered cheese, um, chunked right. is ham. Right. And uh, topped is chili. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good hearty, that's a hearty meal right there. So, how about, that's so let's, gut, let's talk about chili. How about chili? Ooh. Uh, I, I do chili like I do my biscuits, all different kinds of ways. Um, I, huh. So for me, I like the meat, whatever meat, it needs to be uniform. So I don't like whether you use ground turkey or ground beef or whatever. I don't like bigger chunks and smaller chunks. I like it all ah, to be gotcha. the same. Yep. That. I like that consistency unless, well, if you do actual beef chunks like Texas style, um, I still like my beef pieces to be pretty uniform. I'm kind of a stickler about that. Yeah. I like them to be actually like them to be, I don't even really like them to have huge chunks. Like I like for the meat to be ground and spread out pretty, you know what I'm saying? Where you don't like pick up like a meatball. I I like for it to be spread out throughout the, the dish. Um, I will tell you, I'll, I'll, I've never told this secret, but my secret to chili is equal parts ground cumin and ground coriander. Okay. 
Okay. And then once it's once it's done, like right before you serve it, you stir in a big handful of fresh cilantro. And what that does, so you've got the ground coriander, which is cilantro seed, and then the fresh. I really like like cooked and fresh stuff together. And but that really brings out depth and it's a super easy way people will taste your chili and go, What did you do to this? This tastes you know, it just kinda takes it to the next level in a very simple way. All right, I'm making a note. Holly Furfer makes a pretty mean chili, but I don't think she does that. So we'll have to try that next time. Um, two things I like in chili that are, I mean, maybe not all that weird, but I like two ty- two kinds of beans. Um, I like pintos and kidney beans. Um, and then I also like whole corn in my chili which almost makes it maybe not a chili and more like a stew. <laughs> but um, when Holly makes it, she usually... What do you mean by whole corn? Like, like current, like, like uh, cut corn. off, cu- yeah, cut off the cob. Kernel, kernel okay. corn, yeah. Um, But I'm a Brunswick stew, but like, I'm so particular, oh. but when I find a good Brunswick stew, that's my jam. Like, that would probably be like if on death row, like, I need yeah. a side of like really good Brunswick stew. Um, I might have to fight you for that. Brunswick, I love Brunswick too. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, I I really do, really, really love it. <laughs> I like Brunswick too, with just a little bit of a hint of sweetness in it. I do too. I like for it to be a little sweet, and I don't like for it to be overly spicy. Like I feel like there's been a trend where they've now where it's like because everything's spicy, like they've decided to make Brunswick stew really spicy. Um, yeah. I also like Brunswick stew with okra in it. So, um, cause the little, the little, there's a place if we're ever down in middle Georgia, there's a place called old Clinton barbecue. It is on highway 22, about halfway between gray Georgia and Macon, Georgia. It's on the side of the road. The Clinton family's had it for like a hundred years. It looks like it's going to fall down. Um, but that's where I got Brunswick stew as a kid and they put okra in their Brunswick stew and it's still there and it's ridiculous. Right, it's just there's one location, <laughs> that one spot in the middle of nowhere. But I don't um, know if um, I don't know if I've had okra in Brunswick too, but I love anything okra. Well, if you I'm not do scared one, of try slime. <laughs> if you're ever experimenting, try it. Like it's just like boiled okra. You know, they just add to it. Yeah. It's really good. Um, sp- Oh, what? It, oh, yeah, corn. I told you I like corn in there. Um. Spaghetti. I don't make spaghetti. <laughs> um, okay, well, let's see if we can simplify. Well, okay, well, think about it then. That doesn't have to be something you make. Like, how can what's something you could do fun to spaghetti? I mean, it's you know. Well, my in the April issue of Better Home Gardens, I did a balsamic blistered asparagus uh, with grated Parmesan spaghetti. Oh, okay, and which is really good um, because a lot of people eat spaghetti. I just, not something that I make for myself. I, I will spaghetti. tell you though, that the secret about pasta is don't boil it. Make it in the oven. Really? Like add your ingredients to it, like your tomato sauce and everything. And just a, a little bit of water. So it's covered, but put it in the oven. 
And that way you get all of the flavor cooked into your pasta. I never bake, I never boil my lasagna um, noodles. I don't do my penne. I always just mix it with the ingredients and bake it, and it comes out perfectly every time. So how long do you have to bake pasta for it to be done? Uh, like 20 minutes. Okay. I guess yeah, not very do, long. 20, I guess 30 when minutes. you do baked mac and cheese, like, you know, you can, like, that's obviously you. I just never thought of that. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's a hack. <laughs> but, the, but the whole point is, it's, you know, people uh, just, uh, I don't want to mislead people here. Um, because when you say kitchen hack, people are like, oh, it's a shortcut. The real reason to do it is that it's boiling pasta to make something else is actually an unnecessary step. And if you cook the dried pasta in the other ingredients that have liquid with it, you are imparting greater flavor into the pasta. And it so the overall dish itself tastes better. No, that totally makes sense. I just never I never thought about it that way because I think about like one of my again really simple that my mom used to make which is still one of my favorite dishes is she would just make like a baked chicken and rice and mm-hmm. you know real simple chicken breasts um, yeah. cream of mushroom soup cream of chicken soup you know but the rice went in dry you know and baked and it, I mean but same concept right like you you don't boil the rice and add it after the fact um, right it all gets done in the oven I just never thought about it I actually really like a, again, my, my shit I'm saying is like crazy simple, but I really like a bolognese sauce. So I like like a cream, you know, like it's still a red sauce, but it's got some cream, some, some heavy cream in it. Um, if I'm going to have like just a, a, just a big, a hearty red meat sauce, mm-hmm. I like a little, uh, a little cream in there. Um, just a because I also like and just butter. any cream sauce and butter. Yeah. I mean. That's just, you know, can't go wrong. What about, um, let me think what else. What about uh, scrambled eggs? Uh, (laughs) Oh, I, you know, for me, scrambled eggs is about technique. Okay. Do you like Um, them? Do you like them cooked really hard? Do you like them? Like still no, really soft. I like them soft and pillowy, and the you whisk them with water, like really briskly, and don't have your pan so hot, and you just stir them. A lot of people just get their pan too hot. Yes, agree. So it cooks them too quick, and that's when they get hard. And I like my eggs like pillowy and like soft because then I like to. Um, put cheese on them, but my trick with cheese is I run the cheese over a microplane because the Wait, cheese comes that? out really. It's a, it's a like a lemon zester. Oh, okay. It's so it. What happens is that the cheese is grated super fine, so it melts the instantly. That it, the moment that it touches your eggs, it melts into them, ah. and then it becomes one with your eggs. And that to me is like Nirvana. Become one with the egg. <laughs> uh, yeah. well, it's so funny. Um, I love cheese and eggs. Um, I like a little bit of honey on scrambled eggs sometimes. 
Interesting. Uh, um, but you know, I also like I like scrambled eggs and peach preserves together. Mm, together, that's your childhood. It is, but I but I care, and it was an accident, right? Like, and I don't know how this at one point, like I was eating eggs, and some of it got in there, and it's just it. This is a thing you see a lot now, I think technically, but it's just that sweet savory kind of combo, like collision. You know what I mean? That is good. But that's kind of mm-hmm. why I like the honey thing. But I got the honey thing because I didn't know this was a thing. But I was in Texas, in South Texas, I don't know, to like 20, 15 years ago, right on the border, right? We were down at like South Padre Island, like that area, like Brownsville. And um, we found a little like hut restaurant that was called Manuel's. And it was just like a Mexican family that, you know, had a house that they made food in. And none of the menus were in English, like the whole thing. But we would go over there for breakfast and they made breakfast burritos and it was like your standard breakfast burrito recipe. But their thing was, was they put honey in every burrito and, and you know, cause so with the breakfast burritos were scrambled eggs and you know, your vegetables and salsa and all that stuff. But this, there's just something and it's not a lot, right? So it's not like you're almost actively tasting the honey, but kind of like what you mentioned with um, Brunswick stew, it's just like a hint Right, it's like you pick up just a little bit of something a little sweet. It's not overpowering at all. Um, but every now and then, if I go to a breakfast place and there's honey on the table, I will occasionally just drizzle honey over my scrambled eggs. But I actually generally like eggs, runny eggs, like eggs like over medium. So if I'm going to get eggs made at a joint, or if I'm going to make them at home, I'm going to I'm, I'm usually not going to scramble them. <laughs> I love a yolk. Oh my gosh, a yolk. You and know a, what you need to but, have, and a buttered need, piece of toast, my friend. You know what will change your life? What's that? Is egg slut. Wait, what is that? Egg slut is, it makes the best egg sandwiches in the on the face of the planet. I they love, were I love a fried egg sandwich. Out of out of it's actually scrambled eggs, uh, but they have a process that they do it. And I'll you can go on my Facebook page and look. I've just gushed about it. But everybody's talking about egg slut sandwiches. They're based on LA, but they created a pop up here in New York City, and just like the Corona, you know, lines out the door. But they are absolutely worth the wait. They are the best freaking egg sandwich ever made by man. Okay, I love um, an egg and sandwich. Like the <laughs> ratio of the cheese to the soft scrambled eggs to the sausage patty with just a little bit of spice and like. All right, man. See, now I haven't eaten yet. So now you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go downstairs and make, <laughs> You're gonna make an egg I'm going to go downstairs and make myself an egg sandwich. All right. Listen, that game. See, I should have done the game earlier because that's fun. So here's the deal. I want you to come back on at some point and we're just going to keep playing the game where we just <laughs> talk about foods and how we can uh, whatever. Cause I what think I, we should ask. I think we should ask listeners to tell us to give us the food. Oh, that's a good idea. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. Next time I'm going to get the list from uh from other people and or I'll get people to I, well, I'll prep for it. I'll get some submissions and then we'll uh we'll go through that. Um And we can like, you know, put our hand in the hat and pull it out and be surprised together. Yeah, and so with and and when I get the podcast published, when this goes out, you can share it with your folks and they can participate as well. Um That sounds good. 
Well, thank you so much. This was super fun. I feel great too because I, I'm I'm so happy for your career, but selfishly, it's kind of sad that you're not in town all the time anymore. Um, Holly did give me because I don't get to see as much. Holly did give me a bit of good news that you're coming back in town for the Mart. Is that right? So I will be at the Mart along with Sarah Jessica Parker and a few other um, celebrity folk, which will be a lot of fun. Uh, always a great time to come down to. Uh, the uh, home and gift mart and have Holly be the MC. Yeah. So I'm hopeful we, I get to see you when you're in town. I know that's a busy time, but I hope we get to, to bump into each other, but um, you know, thanks again. Let's definitely do it again. You know, you guys, you can find uh, Chadwick. Um, his website is uh, Chadwick Boyd lifestyle.com. It's C H A D W I C K B O Y D lifestyle.com. Um, Chadwick Boyd, um, his fan page on Facebook, and then he is at Chadwick Boyd on Twitter. Uh, so interact with him. You're the best. I love you. Thank you so much. And uh, we will. Uh, let's do it again. What do you think? Sounds good. I had a lot of fun. Thanks, awesome. John. I appreciate yeah. it. Thanks, everybody, for sticking around. Um, we will see you next time. Uh, until then, press on. 